afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity. As we begin here today, I want to thank you all for joining us, and I'd like to call in our ancestors, those that bring all that is good and true and beautiful to each of our ancestral lines, to my own, uh, to um, Ed Tix, our guest today, but to each of you who are listening, every single one of us is part of a family called humanity, and there isn't any other family here on this planet. And so all of our ancestors are all of our ancestors. And so we call in all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to be with us here today, to guide us as we go forward. Let us learn from the mistakes of those who have gone before us. Let us become wise because we've listened. We listen to those who went before us, and our hearts are opened by all that they have learned, the heartbreak they have experienced, and the wisdom they have gained through that. Let us take that wisdom and move it forward even further as we as we continue on this very, very small planet that we all share. We all have one home, and we are all one family. And may these ancestors guide us through in these days of challenge, of change, and opportunity. So we call out to the spirit of this earth, whose beautiful dreaming brought us all here in the first place. I wonder sometimes if life wasn't having a hangover the morning they dreamt humans into existence, but nonetheless, here we are. And we have this incredible power of manifestation. Let us learn from the earth to manifest well, to manifest in a way that is in good relation with all living things. Let us carry within each one of us as we go through the day the wisdom of an ecosystem that knows how to live in intricate and perfect relationship with all things around us and all different natures. Let us learn to manifest well from the earth. We call out to the wisdom of the sky to come down within each one of us and to bring us blessing. Bring us protection and generosity and benevolence of our universe. We do not live in a scarce world in a scarce time. We live in a time of great abundance, of great loving blessing. We call that energy down into us to inspire our minds and our hearts, call it all the way down into our bellies, and to bring the energy of the sky all the way down to touch the earth because we live here in this place between heaven and earth, the place of alchemy of life as we know it. There may be life in other ways, in other places, but we don't know that now. We are committed and responsible for this life here now, right here between heaven and earth. We are that alchemy of life. Let us step into that responsibility today with a full heart and inspired by whatever it is that transpires today in our conversation. And finally, I call out to each heart, the heart of every single person listening, and to every single person you are going to contact to listen next week. And as this goes on and on and on, connecting the hearts of humanity, that we might come to understand how to be together in a good way and understand that it is our role as community to hold the space for every individual soul's purpose to be expressed. And so let us understand our responsibility to the living here today in our heart and call up the power in our bellies of our true soul's passion, call down the clarity of our mind, let them merge in our hearts that we might know why we are here in this life, and that we might live that responsibility in a good way. So today, as we go forward with this idea of how can we be responsible to life, 
We are also going to discuss here today what is our responsibility to the dead and how do we open up this line between the ancestors through the living to the descendants so that it is a line of love, a line of knowledge and wisdom and growth and expression and a line of the manifestation of the true gifts humanity has to bring to the world. Let us be known for what we created, not what we destroyed. So today, into this circle, I want to honor and give thanks and welcome our guest, Dr. Ed Tick. Thank, Thank you, you for being with us. Honored to be with you. Thank you. So for those of you that are just joining us today, I would like to let you know that this is an ongoing conversation that I've been having with Dr. Tick. We've been honored to have him here on the show twice before. For those of you who want to catch up with this conversation, they're in the episode archives on the Voice America site and on iTunes. Um, For those of you that want to check in, it's February 25th was part one. was talking about Ed's work that's particularly in his book, War on the Soul, about how do we show up as America to help to heal the wounds of the men and women coming back from our wars. And the part two was last week, um, Healing Grief and Loss. And this was a really interesting show. Everyone, I, everyone was really excited about the show. I got a lot of feedback about it because we were talking about Ed's work with shamans in Vietnam and how they are using shamanic and Buddhist practices, ancient, ancient practices, to help people deal with loss and grief and many of the other experiences that come from war. So these are amazing shows. Download them and listen to them. But for now, join us today. So let's talk about today. So here we are with these two shows straddling Memorial Day. And so I just wanted to ask, so Ed, what did you do for Memorial Day, and, and why? what was important about it? One of the many calls that I and colleagues of mine working with veterans and active duty military are putting out to our entire country, in fact to the world, is to restore the original sacred meanings of our two holidays that we've created and set aside for... Uh, the spiritual work of completing, grieving, and honoring the impact of war on our veterans and our entire nation and world. So, of course, this weekend we celebrated Memorial Day, and Memorial Day is one of those two days. is Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Decoration Day, as it's sometimes called, and Armistice, Armistice Day, as Veterans Day was originally called, a holiday to work toward the end of all wars, as well as honor veterans who fought and survived. These holidays, like so much else in contemporary American society, have descended into excuses for picnics and mall sales. Veterans and others who have been impacted by war know the fallen um, and emptied condition of these holidays, and some of them, of course, come out for parades or community events, but many veterans and their loved ones go into hiding uh, because they don't want to be exposed to fireworks, they don't want to participate in uh, unthinking, reflexive patriotism, they don't want their service or 
memories of the dead to be used as patriotic excuses for more violence and more wars, and they don't feel justly and rightly supported and honored in the necessary grieving and healing work that could be done on these holidays. So that's the context for Memorial Day as it's practiced in America today. Memorial Day actually traces back to the American Civil War. It was first instituted by Confederate women who went to cemeteries and encouraged their northern counterparts to do the same thing, to decorate the graves of the fallen and say prayer and give ceremony for the fallen of both sides. It was a non-sectarian day. It was created by women who really felt the depths of pain and loss that that war was causing. And then a few years after the Civil War, it was declared an official national holiday. Uh, we put out a call to communities everywhere to restore the sacred meaning of these holidays, Memorial Day and Veterans Day, and to do really meaningful things in their communities. Um, one of the things that we can do most directly and easily, in fact, is to approach our churches and synagogues and mosques and all faith institutions and ask them to design and practice sacred ceremony for these holidays. And that's what I did for Memorial Day. I was involved with the Unitarian Universalist Society in uh, Albany, New York, where I live now. And um, in their wisdom and generosity, the society turned over the entire holiday to me, invited me to officiate, not just to give a sermon, but to design the entire service to be um, responsive to the grieving and healing needs of all veterans in the congregation and in the community and all family members who were grieving any war losses that they or their line might have uh, going as far back as they can remember. So we had an entire morning liturgy designed for Memorial Day that included honoring the veterans, grieving losses anybody has sustained, honoring ancestors who were wounded or died from or suffered long-term effects of surviving wars, both domestically and abroad, and both in our own times and in our history, and bringing full awareness of spiritual traditions and healing to the community on behalf of veterans and family members. Beautiful. So we had a full Memorial Day, and we encourage this type of ceremony that anybody could design and implement in any faith tradition. We encourage uh, the country and the world picking up these kinds of practices. Beautiful. Thank you, Ed. Um, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but as we're going into this break, I'll just share um, real quickly. Um, I was teaching a Healing the Ancestral Lines course um, kind of around the nation right at the time that um, Bush began bombing Afghanistan. And it never failed that the class was on a day there was a protest organized. And um, people always were very conflicted at class. Like, I don't know, they'd say, well, I don't know whether I should stay for class. I feel like I should go protest, da, da, da. And so I added a journey to each of these classes in the beginning. And I'm sharing the story right now, everybody, because I want everybody to really ask yourself, you know, why are we talking about this right now, other than the obvious need for healing? There's a bigger reason here. So I added this journey to these classes where I asked people to simply go ask each of their four ancestral lines coming into them, you know, father's father, father's mother, mother's father, mother's mother, 
what their what their literal bloodline relationship was to this war. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought it was nuts because this was Afghanistan, right? And these people were, you know, a typical New York group of people, but there wasn't any from, anybody from Afghanistan in this room. Every single person, no matter whether they had Asian ancestry or African ancestry or whatever, every single person in every single bloodline had a direct relationship to that war because this is only one war. <laughs> we right. just keep fighting it over and over again in different That's places right. with different uniforms, different supposed reasons. But so, so to have this Memorial Day, that is to to begin to speak to how can we move forward without this war. It is just one war, and how can we move forward without this war? And I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to return to healed people, so that we can think. Um, constructively about the problem because as long as we're reacting to it we're not going to create a new solution we're just going to do the same old thing eventually and so this is what Ed and I are talking about everybody is how do we heal and begin to become a new solution and we're going to talk today about healing based on teachings from the past because they work and how they're working today but what reason we care so much is not just the need for healing, that is a true, sincere heart need to help people to heal, but how do we go forward in a new way so that perhaps there's less need for this particular kind of healing in the future? That's a possibility. And why not be part of going there? So this is why, I think, the essence of why we're having these um, shows and I hope you'll all join us in this conversation. We are live today. You can call in. You can email. And as we go to break, pay attention because the nice lady at the end of the break will give you the number and the email. So thank you all for being with us here today. Thank you, Ed. And we give thanks to all those who have fought. You know. Welcome back, everyone. And I'm having a little moment here because this is why this matters. This is why this radio show matters. This is why you need to let people know about it and get them to let people know about it. We already have an email, Ed, and the email is a request from Jackie in Oregon asking you to uh, to share the name of the UU Church that you did the service in because she would like to get a copy of the liturgy so that they can do it next year. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Jackie. Um, the church that I perform the liturgy in is called the First Unitarian Universalist Society of Albany. You can contact them for the liturgy or you can contact me and I can give you a copy of the liturgy and also put you in contact with other officiates and ministers around the country who are designing such liturgies for their houses of worship for these holidays, Memorial Day and Veterans Day. So for those of you who want to know, you can reach Ed at info at soldiersheart.com. And his mm-hmm. web, right? <coughs> Sorry, info at soldiersheart.net. Oh, .net. Okay, beautiful. Thank you. And the website is soldiersheart.net. So, as Ed and I were talking in the break, we were talking about how important our our grasping this understanding that this is one war. It's always been one war. And I shared how I came to really understand that. And for me, that was through doing the ancestral healing work and having the ancestors frankly tell me this one way or another. But Ed was sharing in the break that he also came to this realization. Do you want to share that with us, Ed? Yes, and I'd actually like to share a few ways, one that we spoke about and one I haven't mentioned yet. 
And I also invite anyone listening, anyone anywhere, to use this simple exercise that helps people realize how we all carry a lineage of war and war wounding. An exercise I did in the church on Memorial Day that I often do at workshops and retreats. And it's very easy, but profoundly revealing, and it's related to your ancestral work. Um, I always ask veterans in the congregation or community to rise and stand and let us thank and honor you for your service and sacrifice. Well, after asking veterans to stand, we can ask them to remain standing for a few moments, and then I ask, will spouses or widows or widowers of veterans stand? Will children of veterans stand? Will parents of veterans or active duty people stand? Siblings, grandparents, grandchildren, helpers, friends, neighbors of active duty people and veterans stand? Very soon, within a few sentences, the entire congregation or the entire audience is standing. And everybody is realizing that war touches us all. We are all in this together. We must seek solutions to our common wounding through war and violence. Just as you said, everybody's ancestors find, when they do their inner work, find personal relationship to these present wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Likewise, when we do our ancestral work, everyone finds that their lineage has been touched by war. There, uh, whether American wars or wars from overseas that impelled people to come here, uh, pretty soon the ancestors are involved and reminding the living of the numbers of ghosts and dead they carry from the world history of war. So there's one... Uh, relate, a, a general practice that can be done in any tradition or even in, um, in non-spiritual traditions that awakens the ancestral work and um, the common wounding we carry. Well, and I experienced this with you when you spoke here in Portland, and it's very powerful. It's so simple, but it's really powerful when the whole room is standing and you look around <laughs> and you realize we are the ones. We are the ones that have to heal this because we're all touched by it. And we're all connected here, and we're the community. There isn't anybody else. We can't give this to someone else to do. Right. So and here we are. And some of our some of our issues from what we call post-traumatic stress disorder are, in fact, because the entire community, the entire society is wounded. In fact, the entire world is wounded from war. And as long as we isolate it as an individual psychological disorder, in the minds of our veterans, then we're protecting the rest of, our, uh, of us. We're protecting the community from feel, feeling our common pain and awakening to our common heritage and our common responsibility for it. So PTSD is also a social disorder that we mistakenly isolate in the survivors rather than realize we're all in it together. And it comes from very much from social and spiritual distress and misalignment, and it's not just in the minds and the hearts of the veterans and the immediate survivors. So what, what have you found as you've, as you've spoken with indigenous people in various places around the globe, actually, about how to help people heal from the various traumas of war? What do they 
say about this? Do they say things about this whole connectivity of war and how it just keeps cycling? Oh, they certainly do. They certainly do. One interesting small clue to what we're talking about and the truth of what you declare, Christina, that all wars are really one war, is that I find when I'm talking about war and um, our generation's experience, I refer to the war. When World War II veterans speak, of course, they always call World War II the war. Well, now Iraq and Afghanistan veterans are talking about their wars. They don't say the Iraq war. They say the war. People have... War is so upsetting, so distressing, confusing, chaotic, hurtful, impactful on individuals, communities, the earth itself, that all wars are the same, as you declare, and everybody experiences their war as the war, the archetypal experience of hell upon earth that teaches or should teach us of uh, profound life lessons, of life's preciousness and fragility, of uh, how really tender and delicate and vulnerable we all are so that all of us are wounded by exposure to war and how profound the sacrifices of veterans, family members, and victims of war are, no matter who they are, where they are, all over the globe. War teaches all of these things, and war is always the same. The historical, economic, social, political conditions that create any one war are just its excuses. It's the way it breaks out in the human community. But we're really dealing with the shadow of life, with the, the destructive powers of the universe as they're expressing themselves through human beings. And it is profoundly a spiritual experience to encounter the, the underworld of war, to travel in it and to learn its lessons. Now, traditional cultures all teach this. Can I keep going or do we yeah. need to watch for a break? A couple minutes, yeah. Okay. Um, traditional cultures teach this in numerous ways. I have, I've worked with indigenous cultures around the, the world, as you rightly said, so I, I work extensively with different Native American tribes and cultures. Um, I've studied and I'm initiated in ancient Greek spiritual and mythological traditions, and as we shared last, on last week's show, I work extensively with Vietnamese uh, traditions and in Vietnam with uh, indigenous peoples in Vietnam and uh, their shamanic traditions and also with the Buddhist and Confucian traditions carried by the Viet people. All of these traditions affirm that war is as spiritually disturbing as we are saying, that everyone, entire societies are afflicted by war, not just the veterans, not just the people who fight, and that the war experience needs and deserves profound spiritual and cultural support from spiritual teachers and healers and entire communities in which war has occurred. And that war is so disturbing, so profoundly destructive, that we need to treat and heal people after the smallest exposure just to the first battle, not waiting as we do in America 
and for a year or two or three years of deployments in the combat zone and then trying to rush people back to ordinary life. In these other traditions, for example, among the Native Americans, new warriors were given profound spiritual healing practices upon return from their first battle, not from a year's deployment, not from numerous battles, but five minutes of combat was understood to be horrible enough, transformative and impacting enough that it needed weeks and months of spiritual healing to put the person right again. That's the model we need to adopt. So, everyone listening, this is what we're here to talk about today is this journey of healing and and how how critical it is, but that it is a journey. It just as the work experience is archetypal, it's a pattern. So is the healing, and we can bring this to our world today. We don't need to continue to suffer as we are as communities and as people. So this is our topic today, and I hope you'll all join us as we return from this break. Welcome back, everyone. As the nice lady said, yes, we are live today. We're welcome to take your calls and your emails, and we're speaking today with Dr. Edward Tick, founder of Soldier's Heart and author of War and the Soul. And as we went into this last break, we were talking about the deep indigenous understanding all over the globe about how critically important it is to bring anyone who's touched, even for the shortest amount of time, by the experience of war into a deep spiritual and physical healing process. And I just wanted to share this one piece. I always remember from some teachings from the Copper Copper Mountain and Copper River Indians up in way up in Canada and the Pacific Northwest. And the Copper River Indians have a saying that, because they did, you know, war ratings in their canoes on each other and things like that. But once you fought, you were pulled into the teaching of the grandmothers. And now grandmothers is not like your grandmother and my grandmother. To be in the teaching of the quote-unquote grandmothers was scary business because these were some seriously kick-ass ladies, right? These are the people that are training the highest level of shamanism, the highest level of leadership, the highest level of everything went to the grandmothers to learn what they needed to know. So to be in the care of the grandmothers, you went into the care of the grandmothers for three generations to get the boil of blood out of your veins. One battle, and you were out for three generations. I mean, it's amazing. Yes, and that's a beautiful teaching that shows how profound impact of combat is on anyone who participates. Yeah. So let's talk about what, let's start sharing some stories and talk about, so what have you learned about what the path of healing is we need to help people walk, and some stories about those who walked it in the past and the, and, the, and the way that you're helping people walk it now. Well, over the next six hours, I'm going to answer all those wonderful questions, <laughs> <laughs> and I wish we had enough time to really cover them because they are that deep and complicated. I have been working with veterans for 30 years now. I began in the late 1970s before post-traumatic stress disorder was a diagnosis. But the veterans who first came in to see me back then, um, it was no secret to, and not difficult to figure out what was so troubling them. They had the wound we call PTSD. Well, one of the... Uh, I, I worked with veterans conventionally, more or less, for about seven or eight years before I realized that the wounds of war were so holistic and essentially spiritual in nature that we had to turn 
to traditional societies and their spiritual ways uh, to tend these wounds of war and address and touch body, mind, heart, and soul. And if we didn't touch all parts of the person and tend to dimensions of healing for all those parts, that there wasn't going to be healing in homecoming. So that's the first thing we all need to understand, is whatever we do, it has to touch all four parts of the being. And what our culture is really, um, frankly, somewhat neutered about is really understanding what it takes to heal on the soul level. That's right. It's not enough to meditate once a day. That's a beautiful thing to do, but that is not adequate for what we are talking about. That's right. We are talking about... Um, we're talking about soul healing of the most intensive, comprehensive, and actually practical of strategies. Soul healing isn't just something indefinite and new age. Soul healing is ancient. Of course, shamanism is the most ancient healing practice on the planet, and it was concerned with healing the soul first and taught that if we do our soul healing work, then body, mind, and heart will follow. If we don't do our soul healing work, then no matter what else we do on the other levels, it's not going to take, it's not going to root in us and really bring about individual and collective change. And and the way I I see that is exactly as you described it, Ed, is as long as the source of the problem in spirit is not addressed, it is as if there is only a hole where there should be earth to plant the seeds of the rest of the healing. And so we keep doing great healing of the mind and the heart and the body, but it's like throwing these amazing seeds into a black hole. Yes, and our veterans tell us that when we ask about their wounds. Thank you for helping me learn to meditate. They might say, thank you for the medications and drugs that squash my rage and let me sleep a little bit at night. Um, Thank you for teaching me cognitive behavioral techniques where I can watch for my triggers and try to reduce the stress that I'm under that will cause my PTSD wound to fire up. However, those things don't change me inside. They help me manage and control my symptoms and readjust to civilian life, but they don't make me a spiritual warrior. They don't uh, make my nightmares go away. They don't bring me peace and healing and reconciliation with my former enemies or with the lives I took. They don't put um, my fallen, whom I'm still grieving, to rest. And I want to do that kind of healing work that really addresses my soul wound and brings transformational healing, not just symptom control. So where do you begin to find the guidance for that spiritual piece of the healing? Well, when we look at indigenous cultures from around the world and their understanding about war, uh, shamanism, what happens to the soul during war, violence, and conflict, and how to respond to it, we actually discover that there are universal steps of transformation. And I've been studying indigenous cultures for these 30 years, and especially uh, how the cultures uh, in their original forms and times responded to their warriors and other survivors of warfare and violence. And uh, I've worked to extract the universal steps of transformation that are found around the world. And there are, in fact, several steps of transformation that 
repeat over and over again through indigenous cultures worldwide, and if we practice them and apply them in our contemporary setting, we could bring profound degrees of peace, healing, completion, and homecoming to our veterans and survivors. Uh, some of those steps... listable? Can you list them? I can list them. And I can list them in a certain order and uh, share how they were practiced in traditional cultures, how we can do it today. Great. So, first step is, as we said, Native American cultures taught that even a few minutes of exposure to combat is so poisonous that it it affects and uh, impacts the soul. The soul is not the same ever again, and that combat experience must be tended and better tended immediately rather than after long deployments in the war zone. Mm-hmm. The first step in tending new young warriors among many Native American tribes and others was expecting that the new warrior would be very disturbed and confused and upset. Warriors came back if they experienced uh, first blood, if they were involved in killing, uh, they came back and painted themselves black to show that they had the death imprint on them in many tribes uh, around Turtle Island, North America, and overseas as well. When warriors came back from their first battle, they were put into isolation, and they were tended by the medicine people, the shamans, and the elder warriors. In many traditions, they couldn't go back to their families. They certainly couldn't have sex with their wives. They couldn't even touch their children. They couldn't even, in some traditions, touch food and feed themselves. War is that polluting that you can't even touch a piece of food without polluting that food, passing on the toxin, and then re-ingesting it. And so warriors were isolated and tended by the spiritual elders. Essentially, they were encouraged to be in an acute period of PTSD. Mm -hmm. The wound, rather than being seen as pathological, Mm -hmm. an individual was seen as being universal and inevitable. Anybody who goes to war is going to come back disturbed in body, mind, heart, and spirit this way and needs to be tended for a period of time. We could easily apply that by instead of uh, shipping our troops back home as quickly as possible, bringing them home slowly and giving them a month, two months, three months of well-tended downtime. You don't have to go back to work. And in fact, you shouldn't go back to your home communities. But here's a beautiful spa or wilderness retreat in the mountains that we're going to send you to. And we're going to give you nutrition and exercise and psychotherapy and massage therapy and acupuncture and shamanic practices and everything you need for months and months and months to tend to the impact of violence and combat upon your soul. We could do that, and it sounds like it would be difficult and expensive up front. Well, it would be, but we would reduce the degree of disability uh, and suffering for the rest of our returning troops' lives. And if ultimately we would save money and save profound heartache by just introducing that one of many changes and steps of transformation. Well, I just want to go on record in case anyone in our government is actually listening. I would be happy to serve my country 
by joining returning troops and functioning as a shaman in that capacity. Uh, why not? I mean, as you Beautiful. said, the investment in that time now is worth bazillions later. So we're going to break, and as we come back, Ed's going to continue with talking with, about, talking with us about these universal steps of transformation. Thank you all for listening, and thank you, Ed. Thank you all. Welcome back. Um, we're here this afternoon with our final section for this episode with um, Dr. Edward Tick. And I can talk about all the credentials, but the truth is, even the military has recognized he is one of the few people who is making substantial inroads into truly helping our men and women who are serving. So what we're talking about is universal steps of transformation that need to happen for anyone touched by war, even just a small period of time, to find the healing and the the retransformation, <laughs> the transformation back into the community. And so step one was culturally for all of us to expect the warrior to be changed by this experience, disoriented, confused, not ready to come back into society and to not force them to, but to bring them into a kind of isolation where they're tended by those who can help them um, address their experience. So the elders, the shamans, veterans, elder warriors, etc. So Ed's continuing now with the steps of the transformation necessary. Thank you, Christina. So that first step of isolation and tending, perfectly presented by you in brief just now. Thank you. After isolation and tending, there's a step that I call the affirmation of destiny. And what this means is that anybody who has been off to war is going to come back different and changed forever. Many people are in grief or anger. I don't like what I did. I'm sorry I had to do it. I hated killing people. I believe the cause was wrong. Uh, also, veterans come back asking their helpers, their therapists and caregivers, can you help me be the person I was before I went off to war? Well, no, that's not possible. And part of the grief and the difficulty is that Veterans are no longer civilians. We say, come on back and go back to civilian life. Well, they can't in large part because they're different forever. There is a permanent transformation. You're right to use the word retransformation. War transforms people, and we need another level of transformation to help them evolve into spiritual warriors. So after isolation and tending has to come affirmation of destiny. And how this happened in some traditional societies was that the shamans went to the new young warriors over and over again and said, simply, did you not desire this experience? As long as the, the new warrior said, no, 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 I hated killing, it was wrong, I didn't want to do it, ceremony of return couldn't continue. But once they said yes, they were not saying yes to the combat experience, that they liked it and wanted it. They were saying, yes, I accept my destiny as being a warrior in service to my people, my community, my tribe. And then the shaman would ask, then you must accept the hardships, or would answer, you must accept the many hardships of this journey and of this path. The warrior's path through life is a psycho-spiritual, social path that is represented in many of the traditions of the world. We don't recognize it. We don't tell people, you're a warrior forever, you're different now forever, and we're going to help you serve as a warrior. Instead, we say, go back to being a civilian, hurry up. Cover up the veteran warrior part of you. And that part explodes again and again in PTSD. It's just false. It's just a big fat lie. I mean, That's right. 
It's just right. crazy. Yes. I mean, veterans are anyway. different forever. We need to recognize that, and we need to actually develop an entirely different and new psychology of veterans and warriors that is different <clears throat> from mainstream civilian psychology. So, okay, so we affirm okay. destiny, and then what's then? Then this occurs all over the world. We need purification and cleansing. Native Americans used sweat lodges and burial ceremonies and vision quests. Uh, the Zulu warriors had long, week-long purification ceremonies for anybody coming back from battle. In ancient Israel, there was a purification ceremony that also lasted a week called the Red Cow Ceremony, where all warriors returning from battle had to spend a week in purification that included smudging and cleansing and uh, eating of sacred foods and isolation from the mainstream community before they could go home. And this is All important. traditional cultures recognize the need for purification from the taint of war before veterans can return safely into their communities so that the poison doesn't spread. And that's the important piece that in this such a judgmental culture, America, we are not saying that the warriors are are should be shamed or something for their experience, we're saying that it's the war that is polluting. That's correct. And that the person mm -hmm. who is perfectly exquisite and will be exquisite again simply needs to be cleansed of the pollution of war. There should be no shaming or blaming of the soldier themselves for that, carrying that taint. And that, that's such a hard thing for people to get. Yes, people um, have an, a natural revulsion to war, and will tend to shut down and distance themselves from anybody carrying the poison and associate the individual with the poison rather than war itself. And, and they need to be honored for being able to carry this for us and then given the opportunity through purification and cleansing to lay it down. Yes, exactly. Without any and shame. And also be recognized as people carrying healing medicine and wisdom as a result of their exposure to that poison. Yeah. We need them. We need what? them in the community. And in traditional societies, warriors actually reduced violence. They knew how painful it was. They knew how much damage it caused. And so within their own home communities, they served as the, the elders, the guides, and the policemen who were reducing the violence in the community and restraining the community from resorting to war or other forms of violence, unless absolutely necessary. Okay. So it's, okay. Four. All right, we have three more steps that I want to get in okay. quickly. After purification has to come storytelling. And storytelling is not just to your therapist, not just to your uh, support group of other veterans. But storytelling in traditional cultures always happened in front of the entire community and tribe. Children, women, elders, or, uh, and leaders and guides were all present. The, in, the war stories of the individual warriors become the warrior mythology of the tribe. This and is really important, people, because even in the ancestral healing that we do, often when we find these warriors dead in the ancestral line, all they need to clear out is their story to be told. Yes, right. They live in their story. Yeah. When the story enters the community, the spirit of that warrior is given eternal life. And freedom. Stays alive as a presence in the community. And freedom from, the, from living the retelling of the story. Now it's out as a story that's held in the community, and the person doesn't have to be re-traumatized by the story. Right. And so the story, when it's out in the community, everybody carries it together. 
So pain is reduced, responsibility is shared, and there's no need for unconscious replication of the story. Beautiful. Step five. Step five, I call it restitution in the community. This means many things, but um, primarily it is the job of the community to turn to their warriors and say, you acted in our name, in my name and in our name. Therefore, we lift shame, guilt, blame, responsibility from you for any actions that you took during war and actions that our entire country took, and we transfer responsibility from the warriors to the entire community and society. We all carry responsibility together. In fact, our warriors are the people on the front lines for all of us, but the battle lines stretch all the way back uh, into the society and into the homes, and all of us feel like uh, we're in danger and our warriors are out there as a protective circle around us. So afterwards, when they come home, the proper position of the society is to be that protective circle around the warriors, bringing them into the heart of the community. And we as a community, in the confusion of the Vietnam War, did a really bad job with this. Yes, we did. Anyway, we have one minute, so let's move on. So our last step is initiation as a warrior. After all of these other steps, it is only then that someone becomes a warrior. A warrior is not defined as someone who has been to war. A warrior is actually a mature, psycho-spiritual, shamanic identity that includes right relations with the ancestors, right relations with the dead, including the lives we took, discovery of the deep, dark, difficult, fragile wisdom of life, and entering into an advanced psycho-spiritual identity that turns around and serves the society in unique ways. So we don't even recognize a warrior class in modern America. But if we can restore the warrior archetype, teach what it really is, and provide it as a model, an ideal model for our veterans to strive toward, they, then they will know not just post-traumatic stress disorder, but then they will have a vision of post-traumatic growth, how they can continue evolving after being a veteran, they can evolve into spiritual warriors and elders, carrying all this wisdom, serving the society, and teaching the rest of us about the pain of violence and how to face it down and restrain ourselves from giving into it. Ed, thank so, you so much. You're very welcome. Now, we're almost done here today, but I think this needs to be our last show. And everyone won't be our last show forever. But we're going to do one more show and put it together in a CD that you can share with your loved ones who need to hear this. Maybe this is what we need to talk about, though, is what could our world be like if we had these true warriors? What, what could it be if this medicine of healing could be extracted from this work and how the warriors could actually begin to reduce violence? Let's, let, maybe we can do a little dreaming in a show and imagine what it could be like if these practices that you are talking about could truly become what we do when people come back from war. What world could we create if we did that? Shall we do that next time? Let's do that next time. Wonderful. There is a great healing vision we can offer the entire planet from the service and the wisdom our warriors can bring back to us. Thank you so much to Dr. Edward Tick for being with us, to everyone who listened with us today, to all of our men and women who are serving for us wherever it is, where they have are or will be 
to our ancestors, to the earth, to the sky above, and to the hearts that unite us all. If there is no other reason for us to get it, let's get it. We are one family, and the hearts unite us all. We're here on a very small planet. Let's all start to live that way. Thank you all for being with us. Thank you, Ed. And thanks to the great indigenous wisdom that has helped us to be able to have these conversations today.